But uh, let me pray for us as we get into this. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for what it means, not only to us personally, or even us as a local body of Christ, but to the world at large. We thank you that you renew us, you transform us, that you do bring freedom like that song spoke of, that you have opened the prison door, that you love us, and we confess that we also, also all often put you in the back of our lives. You're not at the forefront as you should be. And so we pray during this series, Father God, that you would open our hearts and our minds about what it means to actually live you in full volume to the rest of the world. To wear you on the outside of ourselves and to allow you to transform the inside of ourselves. We pray in a world that seems to have gone crazy for the last few years, that you would make sense of it all, and that you would become the most important thing to us, that you would become everything to us. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. Um, We've all wanted to be a fly on the wall. By the way, just if you haven't been with us, we've been going through three sermon series uh, this fall. You know, the first we started with was worship, and then the second was, was word, and now this third is about witness, right? And so we have been praying about those three words for quite a while as a church, and, you know, it's interesting that, you know, we're, we're going to start doing this alpha course, and, you know, that is a great avenue to do witness. So I would pray that you would be thoughtful of that and thinking and praying about who you would like to invite. Uh, like she said, there are cards up here. We passed out last week. <clears throat> if you didn't get one or if you didn't give me your card that you filled out, please do so. And, um, and we'll, we'll make that make that a great thing. Uh, but we've all wanted to be a fly on the wall, you know, uh, in a room to hear what people have to say about us, right? And uh, it, it, in the show Undercover Boss, uh, you, you remember if you've ever seen it, right? I don't even know if it's still running. I think it ran for a number of, it is still running. Well, they, they basically, these corporate executives uh, pose as an employee in their own, co- their own uh, company in a difficult position to see what it's like to work for themselves <laughs> and also to hear what their employees have to say about them. And then the goal is not to be identified, right? And then at the end, there's like this big reveal. Um, Jesus kind of did something similar uh, on the road to Emmaus with, his, with two of his followers, uh, which we're going to read today. And, you know, I, I want to start out, though, by saying that as believers, we will have times in our life when we seem to be at odds with the world, and we have to either answer in either fear or hope, right? We have two responses, fear or hope. Uh, 
I've been thinking and praying about that all week and just recognizing how often I respond in fear. And I've been confessing that to the Lord. But And just as these two disciples, and you'll remember the story in a minute after we read it, uh, ran to encourage the 11 apostles in the story uh, that we're going to read, we should be ready to do the same for those that are sitting in fear or in grief uh, when their faith has been shaken or when simple misconception holds people back from understanding and knowing Jesus, right? So open your pew Bibles, if you can, to Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. That's on page 722, Luke 24, starting in verse 13. And uh, sort of leave that open on your lap as we march through this passage together. But Luke 24, verse 13, starting there, uh, it's page 722 if you haven't gotten there yet. It begins like this. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that, they, that had happened. Excuse me. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him, and he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. Now, I, I would have us imagine, right? Imagine their despair, after you know, putting all this hope in Jesus before the crucifixion. They were drawn in by his words. I mean, I'm sure you've been drawn in by somebody's words. You kind of follow along with them, right? So they're drawn in by his words. Their lives have been changed. Their focus, their relationships, their desires have all been transformed for this period of time before he's crucified. And maybe they'd even left employment to follow him. Who knows, right? And they had witnessed the freedom and the joy and the salvation and the future hope and the power of God's kingdom, right? They had seen healings, they had seen miracles, and finally, they had meaning and purpose beyond just survival and meaning, meaningless sort of ritual of life. But then Jesus is handed over by their own people, and the hammer blows come, and he's lifted up on the cross. And not long after, their hope dies there. Think about that, right? I was thinking that this would be like one of the prisoners uh, with a life sentence that we do ministry with through prison fellowship. And, and what if they had someone come along and say to them, you're getting out of here. I have paid the price. The government is releasing you to my care. Just got to do a little paperwork, right? They've agreed to give you over to me, and I've prepared a home for you with other prisoners. There you can live without any judgment. You'll never be in want and all that kind of stuff. But then you get word that that guy was murdered before he could fill out the final necessary papers. That's what this would feel like. Wouldn't the prison walls seem more dark and claustrophobic? Wouldn't fellow prisoners look more angry and more violent? Wouldn't the daily routine of prison life just seem so much more oppressive? That's what I think they were feeling that day as they walked along. These guys probably stood on the road to Emmaus at the top of the hill looking back at Jerusalem as they walked away from it. And they probably thought, well, that's all we have now. This is it. Empty routine, strife, ritual, and death. 
The world is now their enemy. It's not just Rome that's their enemy anymore, but it's also their fellow Jews because they had identified themselves with this rogue dead carpenter. It continues in verse 18. It says, one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? What things? (laughs) Jesus asks, right? So we see here that Jesus graciously walks along with these guys. He's listening to their intense conversation. He's, he's, they're, all, they're unable to make any sense of anything, right? They, they're, they're probably asking themselves, why did he have to die? Can you remember exactly what he said, you know, on this date at that time or whatever? What's our future hold now? What's going to happen? And then Jesus asks, what things? You know, as if he doesn't know, it's... Somewhat comical, since he's the center of of all that's been going on, right? And the truth is that Jesus does take the time to listen to our telling him what he already knows, right? I mean, he is God. And that really is the essence of prayer, isn't it? Right? Revealing to us that it's much more about us and our benefit than it is his, our prayer life. But he graciously allows us to process our, our lives, our, our thoughts, our feelings before him. And as we do, our ignorance, ignorance is revealed where correction needs to be made, which is often the case on my point <laughs> in my life. But he is patient to listen, very patient, I think. And due to his nature and due to his work on the cross, we are able to freely come to his throne and pour out our hearts to gain his help. That's a wonderful thought. It continues, verse 19, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was, pro- he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, the chief priests and our rulers, our people, handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body, and they came and they told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, and then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So these guys obviously are struggling, like struggling along to believe their friend's words and their friend's experiences. I would, I'm a little bit more of a doubting Thomas. I think most of us are. We want to see it to believe it, right? But why doubt people, right? Why doubt people that you've long since known to be accurate and honest and forthright with you, right? You've walked life with these people. And the longer Cleopas talked, the more he indicted himself and his friend for their unbelief. What more evidence could they want than stories from trustworthy friends? Trustworthy witnesses, you know, had seen the tomb empty. Angels had announced Jesus was alive. The proof was there in a sense. This reminds me of a conversation that I had with my oldest brother, Joe, 35 years ago. He was sitting here last week. He was up visiting. 
And when he shared with me from Isaiah 53, I was, I was living in an apartment in Westchester, I was a mess, and I called my brother because I was exploring the scriptures. I had started reading the scriptures. And by the way, the book that really led me to the, to the gospel was Ecclesiastes. I, I felt Ecclesiastes in my life. And uh, I, you know, I, started, I started talking to him. And so he, he led me to Isaiah 53 and other passages in the Old Testament that sort of you know, talked about the, the, the coming Christ and all that stuff. And his words struck me that night. They just pierced my heart. Not his words, really, but what he was telling me to go to. The scriptures pierced my heart that night. And Joe had always been honest with me. You know, brothers have issues with each other, obviously, but my, my brother's a good guy. And, 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 and he, he, he needed to be listened to. I respected him. I really did. And he needed to be heard. I needed to listen to my brother. I could trust him, Right? So I would ask, do you have that rapport with others, right? Would someone else listen to you by way of your honesty, your life, your witness? And if you invited them to the Alpha Course and, and you sat next to them for 11 weeks, right, having dinner and talking through the gospel and all that stuff, and they lean in over to you and they say, would you, do you really believe all this stuff? And, you know, will you say yes, and would that mean something? Your yes, would that mean something to them? Something to consider. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty if you're, like, taking an evaluation. You're like, I don't know. But, I mean, just think about that, though. You remember the scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and, the, and, and uh, after Lucy had discovered the forest inside the, the wardrobe, and she had told her two oldest siblings, but they didn't believe her. And remember her, her other brother, Edmund, had also too seen it, and she knew that, but he had denied the experience to his older siblings, right? Remember that? So the two older siblings go to Diggory Kirk, not a great name, uh, and he's this old, trustworthy caretaker of a man. I, I don't know if he was uncle or whatever he was, but Diggory obviously believes Lucy, and he asks why they don't, since she's always been truthful with them. Right? And, and the answer was, it's just not logical. It doesn't make sense to have a forest in the back of the wardrobe. Right? And they pointed out that Edmund, too, agreed that she, she had to be lying, although Edmund had seen the forest himself and he had thrown Lucy under the bus. So Diggory responds, I love the, his response at first, he says, goodness, what are they teaching kids in schools these days? <laughs> it's kind of like just this funny, funny uh, reaction, but then he turns their logic around on themselves, and, and, and he says sarcastically, and Edmund is honest, right? Because everybody knows Edmund's not honest. And then he says, well, if you think Lucy's, if you don't think Lucy's crazy, and Lucy has always been honest with you, then logically you would believe her, right? Same scenario here in a sense. Why not trust these women and others with whom they had walked through life with for a great deal of time? Why would these people lie about something so monumental and so verifiable? You know, sometimes we negate the mysterious in life. We just kind of write it off. 
especially in this day where everybody says science is real. What? Christians are not against science, by the way. We're not at all. But we deprive ourselves of something wonderful only because it doesn't fit. It doesn't seem logical. And maybe someone just needs to say to us, you can trust this. Somebody trustworthy. Somebody not crazy. Maybe there's someone in your life who struggles to accept the gospel. Somebody that you could walk along with and listen to their questions and their concerns and then say to them, you know, do you think I'm crazy? Have I ever lied to you? Why would I start now? Maybe they need a witness. Which is exactly what that Alpha course is designed to be. To create an open honest atmosphere, as Kristen said, where your friends can come, they can break bread, they can sit, they can ask questions, uh, they're not going to be attacked, they're not going to be forced into anything, but they might just reveal their misconceptions and find answers among trustworthy people in a good environment. So be praying about that. It continues, verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are. (laughs) how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Notice how he brings us back to the word, right? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory, right? So rather than rebuking the two for their lack of faith straight away, Jesus had given them this opportunity to express their questions, their concerns, and only after they explained who they thought Jesus was to be and to do in life did he correct them, right? And they needed to be corrected, right? What was their basic problem? They didn't believe all that the prophets had had written about the Messiah, I think that's paramount in this day and age that we start to go back to the scriptures and believe this, accept it. The problem was that most of the Jews during that day saw the Messiah as conquering redeemer but not suffering servant, right? That didn't fit within their narrative. And as they read the Old Testament, they saw glory. They saw all the future glory that they wanted, but they never saw suffering, They saw the crown on the Messiah's head, but not the cross on his back. They are not unlike the health and wealth gospels, gospel preachers today, that are blind to the full message, the full counsel of the scriptures, wanting all the glory, but none of the suffering. And by allowing them to voice their fear and their doubt, Jesus was now able to instruct them point by point. And we notice next how he used Scripture to encourage and to teach them. Starting in verse 27, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. 
You know, when somebody comes to faith, they may know very little of Scripture. They may only know what, what is necessary to make a decision of faith to follow Jesus, right? But sometimes they come with a lot of twisted, uninformed views that come from their culture and other people, drawing conclusions without reading the Scriptures themselves and without giving enough time in the Scriptures to let it marinate and make sense over years, and they may need other people to break it down with them. That's, what the, that's part of the reason for the body of Christ, right? It's part of the reason you sit here and listen to me on Sunday morning. God help you. <laughs> right? And if somebody does come to faith, right, they, they begin also to grow in their faith. Hopefully. That is part of discipleship. But, but uh, uh, again, that, the same happens. We tend to go along and we tend to stop reading. We tend to listen to podcasts and read books, other books and all this stuff and listen to speakers and everything, but we stop reading the scriptures for ourselves and we start to take on cultural misconceptions about the gospel story and about Jesus. And if Satan can't have your soul, which he can't once you're in Christ, he at least can hinder your walk of joy in Christ through lies and deception, which often come in very subtle ways. Had a long conversation this week with uh, another friend of mine about that very thing and, and things that I thought he was believing and adopting into his faith life that were not compatible with the scriptures. I've had a lot of those conversations lately. Seems to be happening quite a bit. But if one, if a person can push through the misconceptions, push through the doubts, and view the scriptures as the final authority in faith and life, ingesting it responsibly on their own in the context of a church, they begin to see the wonderful threads of Jesus and his purposes for them woven all throughout the Bible. Nikki shared her testimony a couple weeks back in community group about how she had grown up in a South African home uh, and where very negative and errant beliefs towards blacks were arrived at through a faulty interpretation of the scriptures. Nikki started to get prompted by the Holy Spirit that this wasn't correct or something was wrong with this. And so, you know, it wasn't until the Holy Spirit led Nikki to read the whole Bible in a year that she realized the great falsehood of that, that it doesn't come from the Scriptures. And she had to confess that sin and she had to turn from that sin and praise God she did the work. Praise God. My wife is reading the Bible right now all the way through and just all the insights she's coming to me with. It's wonderful. I may sit, my preaching might get better because my wife is so into the scriptures, by the way. Bill also shared his testimony about how the scriptures convicted his heart of sin and brought him to faith. Praise God he did the work. Chuck and Christy back there uh, will tell you of their life in the Catholic church and how they believed very faulty things which were really not of Christ. And that misinformation stood in the way of their salvation for years. But as soon as they began to read the Bible for themselves, they met the resurrection Christ, resurrected Christ and they repented and they came to faith. Praise God, they did the work. They didn't give up. 
Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? And this, is, this explains why Jesus opened up the word to these two men uh, as they walked to Emmaus, right? Their real problem wasn't necessarily their heads, but it was their hearts. They could have discussed this subject for days on end and never arrived at an answer. What they really needed was a fresh understanding of God's word in their lives. And Jesus gave it to them, right? He opened the scriptures, he opened their eyes, and they realized that he was not only alive, but he was standing right there with them. And that's kind of what we all realize when we come to Christ. Perhaps he started with Genesis 3.15, the very first promise of the Redeemer, right? And traced that promise through the scriptures. You know, maybe he lingered at Genesis 22 when Abraham placed his only beloved son on that altar. Maybe he talked about Passover and the Levitical sacrifices and the tabernacle ceremonies and all that. The Day of Atonement, the serpent in the wilderness, you know, the, the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 that my brother shared with me and the prophetic messages of Psalm 22 and Psalm 60 that my brother also shared with me when I was 21 years old. The key to understanding the Bible is to see Jesus Christ on every single page of it. Right? He didn't teach them only doctrine or, or prophecy. I don't sit here and just teach you theology. That's not my, necessarily my purpose, but theology is important, isn't it? He taught them the things, it says in Luke 24, 27, he taught them the things concerning himself. It all points to him. But he didn't stop there, did he? No, he was a pretty good guy. He continued on to the village, and he broke bread with these two guys before being recognized. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going to go farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. So, you know, it's going into nighttime, right? And the day is almost over. So we, he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he began to give it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Amen to that. Might be beating a, clubbing a dead horse, but I'd remind us that Alpha strongly urges dinner to be served during the, uh, all the sessions. For some reason, eating together opens the heart and defenses come down. Jesus is often revealed during intimate moments over dinner with people. These men had walked along with Jesus. They had talked with him. They had listened to Jesus. And then he, they invited him, him into their home, right? They, they, they said, come home with us. And they had been won by the word of God, right? But they didn't even know who this stranger was at that moment. All they knew was that their hearts were burning in their chest, right? And they did not want that blessing to end. Because the more we receive the word of God, the more we desire fellowship with God, the God of the word. The more we receive the word of God, 
the more we desire to have fellowship with the God of the Word, Jesus. An old hymn says, Beyond the sacred page, I seek thee, Lord. Beyond the sacred page, I seek thee, Lord. Understanding Bible knowledge can lead to a big head. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. We know that to be true. But receiving biblical truth while walking along through life with the Savior only leads to a burning heart, doesn't lead to a big head. Jesus opened the scriptures to them and then he opened their eyes to recognize who he was and now they knew for themselves that he was alive. And they had evidence of that empty tomb. They had evidence from the angels, the witnesses, the scriptures, and now they had their own personal experience with him. It continues, verse 33. They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. Remember, it's the end of the day. It's not the beginning of the day. And they had just walked seven miles to Emmaus and now they're gonna walk back, right? There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and he has appeared to Simon, right? And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. Now the best evidence that we have understood the Bible, we have under ingested and, and, and gotten this story, that, that we've met the living Christ, is that we really have something exciting to share with others. The two men these two guys immediately left Emmaus and they returned to Jerusalem to tell all these believers that they had just met Jesus. But when they arrived, to their surprise, the apostles and the others told them that Jesus was alive and had appeared to Peter, right? What if we came here every single Sunday? What if we showed up to those Alpha sessions telling about the living Christ because we have been walking with Jesus all week long. We've been walking with the living Savior all week long. So their sorrow forgotten, right? And they're overcome with joy about this. The two disciples waste no time to go back the seven miles back to, the, to Jerusalem that very same night to tell the other, other disciples that they had seen Jesus. They were excited about this, as they should be. Because they wanted to tell those disciples who had been hiding for their lives behind locked doors in Jerusalem, right? Whose teacher had been murdered in the cruelest way imaginable. You know, and even till today, I'm not even sure there's a crueler way. Believing that his murderers were going to come for them. They're all locked away. That's, that's what they thought they were doing back there. They didn't realize that they had already seen Jesus themselves. Remember, not long before this, these same men had been sent out in pairs by Jesus, right? You know, they had been given authority over unclean spirits and illness. They had been warned by Jesus that persecution was coming and had been given specific instructions on what to do when it did. But when that time came, they chose fear and not hope. They didn't believe it. They chose fear and not hope. That's not to be too hard on them. We probably would have done the same. 
In John chapter 20, we see Jesus had come to them through locked doors, not once, but twice. Right? First on the day of his resurrection, and then eight days later. And even after this, it took them time to develop the boldness to go share the gospel in Jerusalem and Judea and out to the ends of the earth, as was their calling and is ours. See, fear and doubt are natural reactions when life hits us with the unexpected, right? Sometimes we need to grieve the loss of a loved one or the loss of a relationship, the loss of a dream, the loss of an ideal. And it's also very natural to want to hide fear and doubt away from other people and even away from ourselves because we can't face to look at it ourselves right in its face. But when Christ enters fear and doubt, either through invitation or through breaking through our locked doors, grief is turned on its head, right? And we find ourselves celebrating Jesus once again, don't we? Sorry, this thing's beeping at me. Resurrection Sunday marked Christ's victory over sin and over death. We know that. But it wasn't the end of his ministry, nor was it the end of our salvation message. It's just the beginning, isn't it? We're continually welcomed into this transforming story of the resurrection and life. As Christ followers, we bear witness to the transformative work of God's immeasurable grace and mercy in Christ every single day that we live. And as believers, we will have times when we are at odds with the world, when we've got to choose to respond in either fear or hope. And just as these two disciples ran to encourage those 11, we should be ready to run to the side of anybody that is living in fear, living in grief, living in doubt, when their faith has been shaken, or when misconception stands in the way of their sight of Christ, of their understanding who Jesus is. After two long years of craziness in this country, country, with the breakdown of so much hope and so much stability, it feels like, the fields may just become ripe for harvest as a result of that. Be praying for those who need to be at Alpha. Be praying for it. Invite them. Take that one bold step. I guarantee you, I, I probably know that every single one of you feels like you've missed opportunity after opportunity after opportunity in life. This is your one chance. Invite them. Pray for them. Prepare the road before you invite them and then invite them. And show up yourselves with them. Sit over dinner for 11 weeks, then we have a weekend away kind of thing, a Saturday away, for 12 weeks to see the undercover Jesus breakthrough in somebody's life. Or maybe you are shuddering in doubt. Maybe you haven't crossed the the wedding threshold of your relationship with Jesus yet. Maybe you haven't made that commitment. Maybe you shudder in doubt. Maybe you've believed all the lies that everybody's heaping at the Christian church and in our belief system and all that kind of stuff. Jesus wants to break through via the church, via the scriptures, via the word of God in order to encounter the God of the word in your life 
I honestly believe that. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are the God of the word, that your word holds power and transforms and saves. We just give you all the glory this morning for anything good that comes about. We ask for your spirit to move in us, move in our church. Let us grapple with and grasp hold of what you are trying to say to us or what you are saying to us via your scriptures and, and the calling in our lives to go and take this story, to run seven miles back to Jerusalem to tell the story to somebody else. Lord Jesus, make us willing to go the extra mile for others. Make us willing to go that extra mile so that they too may see you whether that be from an invitation that they extend to you themselves or it means that you have to break through their locked doors. We ask that all doors and all barriers would be broken down to faith, Father God, for the people that we interact with. And we do pray for Alpha. We do pray that you would bring all the people that you would have to be there at that moment, to hear your, your gospel and to make a decision. We praise you, Father, for what you're doing. And in Christ's name we pray, amen.